Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports. Yes, the Tuesday before Christmas edition of John Solomon Reports. I guess we could say it's the first Tuesday before Christmas edition we've ever had because, well, it's our first year, of course. Well, today we are going to drill down on cybersecurity, something we've been talking about, election integrity, something we've been talking about, and the Inspector General of the Homeland Security Department. Why do I say that? Because today we broke a story about uh, Christopher Krebs. I don't know if you remember him, but Christopher Krebs was the guy that Donald Trump fired about a month ago. He was the head of the main cybersecurity infrastructure protection agency inside of the Homeland Security Department. It's called CISA, C-I-S-A. And uh, he was fired shortly after he said this was the most secure, safe election in American history. Trump fired him. And then the media uh, well, they deified Christopher Krebs. He's a great guy. National security has been jeopardized by the firing. Then he went up to the Hill last week and Christopher Krebs testified. He got a pretty warm welcome. Democrats and Republicans alike uh, didn't explore much of his performance or his uh, track record inside of government. Uh, I think the big moment in that hearing came from Senator Ron Johnson, the chairman, who pinned uh, Krebs down when Krebs said, uh, this was the most safe and secure. He said, are you talking about voter fraud or ballot box stuffing? Or are you just talking about foreign intrusions into the software? And he said, yeah, no, I'm just talking about foreign intrusions in the software. So he narrowed his proclamation to something that, you know, is probably technically true. To date, we haven't seen a foreign intrusion into their software, voting software, at least not yet. That's something to celebrate. I'm not taking that from Krebs. Uh, but... Uh, I got curious, and, and after all of the celebration of Christopher Krebs, after all the media's claims that this was going to be a major national security problem that Donald Trump fired the guy, I dug in, and I tried to find out, how did Chris Krebs do? How did his agency, CISA, uh, do? And uh, what I found out, the Cybersecurity Information Security Agency, I found out, that the inspector general, the chief watchdog of the Homeland Security Department, not once, not twice, but a half dozen times in the last few months, just before Krebs was uh, fired. In fact, three of these reports occurred in late September and October, just before the election, just before Christopher Krebs was fired by President Trump. Uh, they warned that the agency was underperforming. It had bad performance. It wasn't doing well. So let me give you a couple of them. And then in a few minutes, we're going to get to Senator Ron Johnson, the chairman of the home, Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, a guy who's led the Hunter Biden investigations, led the election integrity investigations, had Krebs on the witness chair, I think last Wednesday, not even a week ago. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin is going to join us and we're going to talk about all this. But let me tell you what the IG was reporting and disclosing and uncovering just weeks, just weeks before Krebs is fired, just weeks before November 3rd elections. So in late September and, uh, and in October, there were uh, three reports that jumped out at me about CISA, the agency. They were they were agency specific. One of them said that CISA had some of the lowest scores in the Homeland Security Department for information security. Now, just think about that. The agency that's supposed to set the example, the policy, the intelligence to prevent cyber intrusions had some of the worst ratings inside of Homeland for its own information protection. In fact, out of six scores, it got a one. Uh, four times, four out of six scores, it had one. One was the lowest score. Five was the highest. Four is what the federal government requires agencies to be at. CISA didn't make four on any of its scores. It had four ones and two threes out of the six scores. 
other agencies that have really important other responsibilities besides cybersecurity, Immigrations, Customs Enforcement, Customs and Border Patrol, our Border Patrol guys, their systems, their information security was better than the agency that's supposed to be the top dog on cybersecurity. That's one of them. Another one specifically talked about uh, CISA's election security planning. And they gave the CISA the credit that uh, they focused well on information software vulnerabilities in the voting softwares. They hardened that up. They got information. But on physical infrastructure protection of polling places, uh, computer warehouses, um, voting locations, vote counting locations. It was dinged very hard for not building that into the plan, not sharing information, threat analysis, so that, well, you might save the uh, software from being it, but what about the ballots? Could they have been tampered with? Could they have been stolen? Could they have been uh, attacked, people voting attacked? Apparently, CISA did a bad job on that, according to a very strongly worded report that came out October 22nd, about two weeks before Election Day. What's interesting is that Krebs responded to the report in a letter to the IG saying, hey, uh, I agree with your recommendations. We're going to fix this up. Good idea. Hey, but did you really have to release this before the election? Couldn't you kept this until later? Uh, Classic bureaucratic response. Don't ding us before when it can make a difference, ding us afterwards when it doesn't make a difference anymore. Um, That was one of the reports. I thought another report that was um, important and its themeism actually carried through several of the reports going all the way back to June when Homeland Security um, uh, uh, really raised serious concerns about CISA and Krebs leadership and her performance, I should say not leadership, but his performance was the idea that the quality of information that CISA was sharing. So it set up all of these information sharing centers, very important stuff, right? If government knows something, you should get it down to the people who are affected by it, that uh, its information sharing was low value, meaning it was passing things along, but it wasn't actionable intelligence. It wasn't stuff that might prevent someone from uh, attacking us, might catch someone attacking us early on. It was kind of low value information being distributed through the CISA network. That is such an important uh, finding because in the intelligence world, your intelligence your ability to protect is only as good as the quality of the intelligence that you're distributing. If you have bad intelligence, like Christopher Steele had on Russia, you deserve us. If you have weak or no visibility, no intelligence, uh, you're not serving well. If you have low value intelligence, big bad things can happen and you have to react after the fact. You can't be on offense and protect yourself before it. And that was a theme that I saw in a lot of these reports. Um, so why is that important? Well, CISA not only... Uh, and Christopher Krebs was not only responsible for protecting our election infrastructure, it's supposed to protect all of the civilian federal uh, agencies' infrastructures. It's supposed to be the lead agency on that. Well, what did we learn right after Christopher Krebs was fired? You ready for this? That for nine months, Russian hackers meddled, wandered, exploited through our most valuable government computer systems in the civilian area and stole secrets, infiltrated, and nobody in the U.S. government, including CISA, Chris Krabs, noticed it took an outside fire eye to warn us of this. Uh, how could we spend billions of dollars on cyber infrastructure, pass all the laws that we did, create a special agency to take the lead on this, and we don't even capture what was uh, the worst Pearl Harbor cyber attack. It took someone in the private sector. So when you hear all the adulation for Christopher Krebs and CISA, when you heard our national security was put at risk by his termination, 
go read these reports. Go to the website, justinnews.com. Go to my dig-in section of my story. Read what the Inspector General, the Chief Watchdog of Homeland Security was saying. It's a far different story than what the media had been reporting for the last month. And now that we're in the midst of what may be the largest cyber hack in American history, certainly related to our government, you get the sense that maybe Sisa, Chris Krabs, his colleagues, maybe well-intentioned, maybe they tried hard, but we weren't as safe as we thought we were. Sisa may have been more of a sugar pill than actually a performance protection asset. Uh, and I'm not challenging the intentions of the people that went there because I believe they're good. I'm challenging the performance. And the only reason I'm challenging it is that my reporting, the reports of the Inspector General of the United States, well, they give us reason to question it. They warrant a much deeper explanation than the, the soft cursory deification of Christopher Krebs and Sisa that happened two weeks ago. The journalism industry let us down on that. Hopefully we earned your trust by exposing what we knew and giving you the real data so you can make up your own mind. We're not trying to indoctrinate you. We're just trying to inform you. All right, we're going to go to commercial break. When we come back, Senator Ron Johnson, the great senator from Wisconsin, one of the states I lived at for a long time where I met my beautiful wife. Uh, he's joining us to talk about Chris Krebs, Sisa, the big cyber hack, election integrity, and I bet you, I just bet you we'll get a question or two in on Hunter Biden too, because I know you care about that. But first, let's hear from our great sponsors and advertisers who make this show, makejustthenews.com possible. We'll be right back after hearing from them. Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, the chairman of the Senate Homeland and Governmental Affairs Committee, Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, joins us. Senator Johnson, welcome back to the show. Well, John, uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. And congratulations on escaping Washington after the final vote. We finally got our work done for the year, huh? <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm back here in Wisconsin. I've got a smile on my face. I bet you do. I have a lot of family in Wisconsin, and I smile as soon as I get on the ground myself. <laughs> it's great. Listen, I want to talk to you a little bit. You've had some amazing hearings over the last few uh, weeks, and uh, you had this guy, Chris Krebs, who ran um, the main cybersecurity agency inside of Homeland. And, uh, you know, he seemed to have a good resume. He had a good uh, story to tell about the election and what he thought they did right and wrong. And then we've been going through some of these inspector general's reports at the Homeland Security Department, and it looks like his agency uh, has had some problems. It wasn't really hitting the marks, and maybe the— 
the way he portrayed the efforts of the agency may have been a little more glowing than what the internal watchdog at Homeland thought. I'm just curious if you had some impressions of where we are in the fight on cyber war and whether CISA, his agency, was doing its job or whether it was struggling. Oh, um, again, not to correct you, but we always call it CISA. CISA. But, there we uh, go. The, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency. Um, you know, let, let me, because I want to be as completely fair as possible. You know, one thing I will say about IG reports, and I've read a lot of them, I've never seen one that was glowing in its praise for the agency. I mean, it's just not That's their true. job. I mean, they're, right. they're there to uncover and, and point out problems. Um, but, you know, all, all that being said with, uh, you know, the blanket statements that, the, you know, the, the former director, Krebs, talked about election security, which I, I, I do, do believe were completely misinterpreted. Uh-huh. And, you know, because, he, he, you know, the sweeping statement, this is the most secure election, you know, in our history. Uh, I think that may be a paraphrase, but I think it's pretty accurate. That's right. You know, that that was that left the impression. It might have been meant to leave the impression that this election was perfect. OK, but when he's saying the most secure, he's really talking about, you know, foreign interference as relates to cyber hacks. And, you know, the, the attack on our on the Internet system here uh, when, when it's in, that's involved with, with the elections, he admitted in testimony before our committee, he's, he wasn't speaking of fraud. And with, our, our hearing was, you know, examining the irregularities of the 2020 elections. We were primarily talking about the aspects of fraud right. and the lack of transparency and, and the inability of, of observers to really observe and. And the, the, the fact that courts, you know, didn't necessarily look at evidence, they just dismissed a lot of these cases based on lack of standing or, you know, the cloak of latches, which, you know, you, you're, you're bringing this controversy too late in the process. Um, so, you know, I think that the mistake that Director Krebs made in that sweeping statement, it, it simply was misleading. It was, it was too sweeping. It, and, and people, from my standpoint, completely misinterpreted it. And of course, the liberal media latched onto it. Of course, uh, and, and you know, so so we really didn't have an accurate portrayal of the issues that have frustrated supporters of President Trump. The seventy-four million people that that voted for him, uh, their their questions have not been answered as it comes to these irregularities. Yeah, that's such an important point. And I, I think that the, you're right that so many of us missed the, the very important caveat, which was he was talking about cyber intrusions from a foreign power, not about irregularities or fraud that could have occurred in the old fashioned way of just, you know, even ballot stuffing, right? Just a ballot box stuffing, obvious things like that. So that distinction got lost. And I'm, I'm glad that you, you, you picked up on it and have really educated us on why that's different. When you look at what we learned uh, in the last week, Week, the breadth of what you know, some people are calling it the Pearl Harbor of cyber attacks. Um, this massive attack that's being attributed to Russian hackers across multiple agencies. It looks like it went on for about nine months undetected. It took someone in the private sector, FireEye, which you know is a very good firm, to first bring it to the attention. What does it say about Homeland, CISA, uh, Krebs, and others that uh, we were we were left naked for basically about nine months? Well, first of all, it says what I've always believed is if you're really looking for cybersecurity, we have to look at the pri- private sector because the private sector is always going to outperform government. I mean, yeah, I just, great that, point. That's just my belief, but I'm but I'm a private sector guy. Uh, 
again, you know, Director Krebs, when it came to elections, the fact that uh, CISA uh, really did move us from 82% paper ballot back up to 95%. I mean, that was an accomplishment. But, sure. You know, if, if I if I were former Director Krebs, I, I would kind of meld into the background right now based on those IG reports and based on, you know, this this massive and incredibly serious hack by solar winds. I mean, it, it does not speak well to what CISA was doing, what government agencies are doing, you know, the whole Einstein you know, cybersecurity program, right. which, you know, we, we've tried to support by, by our committee. You know, the, the whole problem, John, in, in dealing with cybersecurity is the vast majority of Americans, including myself, are not computer scientists. Yep. This is incredibly complex. It is. It's not easy. The, the federal government has a really difficult time attracting, hiring, and retaining the best talent. They, they just can't pay for it. That That's, again, it's, it's, it's it's just an inherent problem with government's ability to to have the personnel they need in comparison to the the personal the personnel that the, the the private sector can can retain because it can pay them a whole lot more, and so it's it's just a a mis, mismatch between what capabilities ever can be. Now we, we've got patriots again. I, we've got good people and smart people that are that are are here trying to defend you know our government. Uh, cyber assets as well as helping the the private sector do it as well and, and there are a lot of things that we do well you know the, these uh, uh isacs you know the information sharing and, and analysis uh, centers and you know these are positive things but the people on offense the the hackers the, the cyber attackers they have the advantage um you know just like the national line you know you're, you're setting up a defense always based on the last war and and people figure out a, a way around it and so I, I can't be real critical of our government's defensive efforts because it's a, it's an almost impossible and thankless task. But I, I think you have to take a look at that, that seriously. And, and again, continue to come to the conclusion I always come to is you can't look to the federal government at solving our cybersecurity problems. We really need to partner with closely with the private sector. And as you pointed out, it was Fire FireEye, which is which really is kind of one of the the Oh yeah, they're it really impressive, the aren't they? Notable, but but they got they they were hacked too. That shows you how difficult a job and how how monumental our task really is when it comes to cyber defense. Yeah, no, that's a, that that really does highlight the uh, the challenge at hand. There were a couple of things that jumped out at me in the IG report. Uh, one is, you know, if you're going to lead by example, you should have your own good information security uh, systems. And and CISA w- w- had the lowest score on four of the six ratings, and underperformed other agencies in, inside Homeland Security like the Customs and Border Patrol and Immigration Customs Enforcement. Um, when you're looking at that and you do oversight, and, you know, a lot of people think oversight hearings are political, right? They're they're supposed to be for gotcha moments, but they're not actually. They're designed Designed to press the government to get better. When you see that the lead agency uh, that's supposed to be getting everybody else hardened and their defenses ready against this incredible challenge has weak information security for itself, what message does that send downstream to the others that are following CISA's instructions or its uh, uh, example? Well, again, as it, refer, as it relates to a former director Krebs, I, if I were him, I'd keep a low profile. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but, you know, it really does say that the Secretary of Homeland Security and, you know, we'll, we'll have an outgoing one here, it looks like. Right. Uh, the, new, the new Secretary of Department of Homeland Security is going to have to really take a look at CISA 
you know, part, part of that IG report talked about, you know, lack of human resources. And that's what I was speaking to. And it's, it's yep. not necessarily the government's fault. The government has a real, real difficult time. You know, Senator Peter, Peters and I have, have recognized that. We've, we've been trying to come up with imaginative ways of Great you know, point. having programs where you maybe pay off student loan debt right. to attract people if they stay in government for, you know, longer than 18 months or two years or three years. You know, things like sabbaticals. You know, allow the private sector potentially even even donate managerial time and personnel time to, to come in the government. It would be mutually beneficial for those private sector companies as well as those individuals as well as government. You, we've got to think outside the box because, I mean, you know Silicon Valley. I mean, these companies are behemoths. They're yeah. multi-billion. They're, they're, they're rolling in the cash so they can pay people multi-million dollar salaries you know, government salary taps up, tops, tops off at, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, which is a lot of money. But in, in the marketplace of ideas and yeah. the marketplace, we're trying to attract the top talent. And again, this, this top talent is rare. I mean, th- these people that, that know, you know, how to the, the computer science of all this, you know, artificial intelligence. I mean, I mean, I, I'm I am not even close to be able to understand all that. Those are the types of people that government needs as well. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, uh, in the marketplace today, the top creme de la creme talent are going to get picked off for a lot more than the 200,000. And so it is interesting. These ideas like like a sabbatical program or a student loan compensation program could could really attract talent and get us more uh, more people that are brighter and better quicker. That sounds like a, a really great idea. The other uh, element that that um, felt like an oversight issue when you when you look at it is they kept talking about the quality of the information that SISA could get and get in the hands of people on the front lines wasn't very strong. That you know they had created they had created these great fusion centers that can send information out, but the actionable intelligence that could really prevent an attack or stop an attack early wasn't flowing. And it seems like we're learning that about the Russia hack, the cyber hack that we're learning about now, that uh, information moved really slowly when there were warning signs. Uh, is there something that your committee, Congress, uh, the Homeland Security Department should do to up the game to get better intelligence? We got really good at stopping terrorism, right? We, we After 9-11, is there something that we can do to get uh, on more of an, an offensive posture on um, sharing information about cyber threats? So this is going to be a slightly longer-winded uh, answer. I, I know I've already already been long-winded. No, this is when, great. When I first came, when I first came to Congress, again, I'm an accountant myself, you know, so I understand computers from a standpoint how you use them. Right. But we we immediately recognized, and everybody recognized that cybersecurity was a huge priority for the private sector as well as government. And so I'd always ask in these hearings, you know, what, what are the top priorities? What are the first two things we have to do? And the answer always was information sharing and then data breach notification. It's some kind of nationalized preemptive type of standard. And right. go, okay, not a problem. Let's, let's do it. Well, it's a whole lot more difficult than that. We, we've actually made some progress in information sharing. Uh, data breach is almost impossible. I mean, think about it. You know, what I've learned is somebody that's hacked into a system, I think on average, this might be a couple of year old data, but on average, they've been inside your computer system for a couple hundred days before you even notice it. Wow. So then when you notice it, you know, all of a sudden government's saying, we got to notify us in 24 hours. You don't even know what you're dealing with. And that's what's happening right now with the solar winds hack is, you Such know, a good it's point. Gonna, it'll probably take months to fully understand this. So, you know, what are you supposed to share? 
you know, what are you supposed to notify people of? So this is an incredibly complex and difficult issue. Information sharing, and even worse, is you know the, the requirements that we place, of course, subject to you know, lawsuits, that type of thing. When when a company or a private entity gets hacked, you know, e- even a government agency, you know, their their requirement to notify Congress. You know, what's the point of notification? What 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 really is you know understanding that you 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 got hacked? I mean, wh- what does that look like? What's the definition of all that? So this is incredibly complex. There's been all kinds of efforts in terms of improve, improving information sharing. That's what those ISACs are all about. So we've stood up these organizations. There are really good people inside the government, outside the government, trying to grapple with this incredibly difficult issue. So, again, that's why I'm not sitting here just coming down and just being incredibly critical. I mean, it's easy to, to carp about things. Yeah. It's easy to, from the outside to criticize. You know, this is my definition of a problem. Now, there are all kinds of problems in Washington, D.C. that I think have easy solutions. You know, people maybe don't see it that way. My definition of a problem is something that does not have an easy solution, maybe doesn't even have a solution. But, you know, there, there, there are things that a lot of well-intentioned people are doing, and, and I, I just don't beat up on people that haven't gotten it perfect. It's, you're never going to get this perfect. It's, this yeah, is really a, a tough nut crack. It is, and it's it's going to be with us for a long time. We're in a, such an interconnected world now that uh, one vulnerability, as we learned in this one, the singular vulnerability may even have been interns is one of the things we were hearing. Uh, singular vulnerability uh, had 18, 20,000 victims within a few uh, months, and I think that that's, that intercon- interconnectivity is something that's going to be the great challenge of the future for us because we don't want to give up all the advances but obviously it's a big challenge. Uh, one last question, because I know you, uh, you're on the road traveling, but I wanted to ask you about Hunter Biden and how far in 2020. We started this year with an impeachment proceeding, a trial on which the premise was the, pre- the president of the United States had no reason to ask any questions about Hunter Biden because there was nothing wrong there. That was the storyline. And we ended with the word that Hunter Biden is under criminal investigation, apparently for tax evasion by his own uh, acknowledgement of the contacts he's had with prosecutors. You did so much to bring to attention the SARS, the, 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 uh, uh, the reports that came out that showed the suspicious transactions. Where do you think this heads in 2021? And what will you be doing to uh, further the oversight on it? Well, first of all, you did, you know, just, you know, I would almost say the lion's share in, in a lot of this uh, investigation, you know, a couple other journalists that uh, have integrity that uh, actually are uh, practicing investigative journalism. Yeah. But, but you're one, you are, from my standpoint, the premier one. Oh, thank on, you, on sir. This case, but, but, but on many, many others as well. Uh, but but that, that's why we need a free press. Yeah, good so point. What, what I found from a standpoint of congressional oversight, we're the last to find out. Now, we do have capabilities of issuing subpoenas, issuing oversight letters that government agencies are supposed to respond to. They do reluctantly. We get some information, but the people pressing the envelope really is, a, is an inquisitive press. You know, people like you. Now, first of all, you have sources that are willing to come to you because they know that their confidentiality is going to be maintained. That's not always the case in, you know, within Congress. You know, exactly yeah. sometimes people's identities get blown. That's and right. So people are reluctant to come forward. So I, I've learned a lot about this investigation. And, of course, the, the, the 
unit that has the, the strongest and greatest investigatory power is the Department of Justice. But truthfully, um, if, if you're being investigated and you're completely innocent, you want to make sure that always remains confidential. So that you're not tainted if there's not an indictment. So there's just a natural tension there in terms of getting a, a, you know, the information from an investigation out of the Justice Department and making that public. But, but there's a difference between normal type of investigations of criminal behavior and investigations of political wrongdoing in the, in the political realm. And, and that's where you see the tension. So again, what, we, what you really need, we need an investigatory press to put pressure on the process um, and, and to dig. And so I just give, you know, really, I, my hats off to you and, and your colleagues that, that really do take their, their role in our society and our democracy seriously in an unbiased way, asking the questions, trying to get the information the American public does need to have. You know, my investigation into, into Hunter Biden, the Bidens were never targeted. It just, it, they put a target on their back through their conflict of interest. But it was important the public knows what happened because of the, the counterintelligence, the extortion threat that whatever China knows, whatever Russia knows, whatever Ukraine knows, whatever Kazakhstan knows, I mean, whatever Romania knows about these foreign entanglements of the Biden family can be used to affect policy and, and could affect our national security. That's why this was important. This this was not a political hit job, as, as right. you know. Stephen Colbert implies, no, this this was a serious investigation on all our part because our national securities have put at risk when you have these kind of financial foreign entanglements that the Bidens obviously have. Uh, again, as I've said, this is this is a big mess. This story is not going away. And in a Biden presidency, this is going to be an even bigger, pe- bigger mess and should be a bigger story because it's important. Yeah. Now, let, let me let me let, let me leave it on this thing, too. We should actually be thanked by people from a standpoint of the fact that we have lowered, we have lessened the national security risk because we've made this available. At, at least these issues, you know, these connections, they can't those be, payments right. can't be used as blackmail. So, Great you know, we, we've taken some of that extortion and counterintelligence threat away. I don't know what else is lurking out there, though. That's a great point, and that is some point. And you're right; uh, we're, we're better. We've better illuminated something now that a foreign power can't use to hijack the Biden family or other players in this, and that is a win as we close out a very difficult 2020 year. Well, Senator, I want to thank you very much. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a, a blessed start to the new year. And I want to thank you for all the times you've joined us on this show and, and been quoted in our news articles. You help us understand uh, the the role of oversight so much better. We're so lucky to have you. Well, John, you know, Merry Christmas to you and your listeners as well. And and by the way, don't don't be expecting a whole lot of thanks from the mainstream media for all your good efforts. <laughs> yes, no, I, that card's not coming in the mail. <laughs> well, thanks again, sir, and thank you for all you do. All right, folks, we'll be back in just a second to wrap things up. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of uh, John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Yes, we're just a few days from Christmas. Yes, we've had a topsy-turvy year. We're only about... 10, 10 days away from putting 2020 in the rearview mirror. <laughs> I know a lot of people be glad about that. Well, uh, I hope you enjoyed Senator Ron Johnson. We not only look backwards as to what we can learn about Sisa and Chris Krebs and his performance and our cyber security vulnerabilities. We talked about what we should be looking at in the future next year to harden our defenses, to learn from our mistakes, to learn from our underperformance on cybersecurity. I thought that was a valuable election uh, a discussion, uh, and not only about elections, but about oh, total cybersecurity across all sectors of American governance and civilian society. Uh, and I think we got a little bit of insight from Ron Johnson uh, as it related to, yep, as it relates to Hunter Biden, I thought the most provocative thing he said, it's still ringing in my ears a few minutes later, is we already have made America safer by exposing some of the questionable conduct, business transactions that could have been used to blackmail or uh, harm the Biden family, extort the Biden family by exposing them through Senate oversight, through journalism, investigative reporting, we've already made America safer. I haven't heard someone say that before, but boy, did it ring in my ears when Ron Johnson said it just a few minutes ago. Hope you enjoyed that. I hope you're getting ready for Christmas. You're baking some cookies, wrapping some presents, um, uh, getting some wood for the fireplace on Christmas Eve. Uh, but take some time to enjoy this holiday season. It's not the same holiday season as always, but it can be what you make it with your family, with the love of your friends, with phones and phone calls and Skype and, and uh, uh, meeting software. You should be able to reach out and tell your family and friends you love them, you miss them, and celebrate Christmas, the new year. Maybe not the same way we always do it. Maybe a little more socially distanced, maybe a mask on here or there, an electronic communication. But we can still make Christmas important this year, and I hope you do. hope you make it valuable and meaningful to all you love and cherish. I know my family will be doing that. We thank you for your listening. We'll be back tomorrow, Wednesday, December 23rd, with a new edition of John Solomon Reports. I think we're going to have Peter Navarro, yes, a White House official who wrote the big report called The Immaculate Deception. Yes, about election integrity issues worldwide. Probably one of the best compilations of what we know and don't know about the 2020 election. We're going to have Peter on. We hear tomorrow. Uh, so tune back tomorrow. Check us out. Hopefully we'll break some more news, have some new information for you. Until then, God bless you. God bless America. Have a safe evening and enjoy your family, your friends, the fellowship of all those in your inner circle as we enter this beautiful holiday season. I'm John Solomon, and you've been listening to John Solomon Reports. Music